But yeah, mate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Cheers for asking me. No worries. Yeah, just to kick us off, Dave, I mean, could you just give us a an overview of your background and just sort of take us through your journey up until this point, like you know, why you got into copywriting and, and, and your, your career journey? Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose I got into it really, really early on. I loved um, I loved words from like very early as a, as a young kid. I was probably about six when my dad started playing Scrabble with me. And I was just like, right. wow, you can make, I can make anything here. This is, you know, up until then, most games had been, you know, Ludo and stuff like that, very formulaic with a start and a finish, whereas Scrabble, it was, like, it was different every time. And I was like, wow, like even at that young age, um, probably, you know, wasn't thinking intellectually or anything at the time. But I remember loving the fact that any, you know, every new game could kind of turn out new. So, yeah, I was hooked really from that, that, that young age. And then um, I really started, I suppose, English in school. You know, the teachers on parents even and stuff, the teachers would be telling me, well, you know, I was, I'd be like 10 and they'd say, he's got a reading age of like 24 because I was just <laughs> up all, all sorts of, uh, you know, whatever books I could kind of get hold of. So still kind of just kids' books and stuff, you know, all the Roald Dahls and Beatrix Potter at that age, but just, just loved it. And it, my mind just went into this, like a total other dimension when I was when I was kind of visualizing stuff you know as kids minds probably do um but I, yeah I, I kind of knew early on that that was kind of what I loved the the writing side there certainly the, well certainly the reading but then that evolved into the writing side um and yeah I just just loved it all the way through school really so my, I got to the age of like 15 16 and you do a you know a work experience so I did it on my local newspaper as as a reporter for a couple of weeks and again i was just like in my elements it was like only really you like you like local as as exciting as local news can get really like there was a new bus new bus depot and i was like in doing vox pops interviewing people and never went to court or anything like that but um got my name in the paper and at 15 for me that was like a big deal so wow. yeah absolutely loved that so that was the um yeah that was the yeah, I had the bug, I suppose, at that age. So um, that's what I did at uni. I did a journalism degree at uni. So um, that was where I really first studied um, or learned. It was quite vocational. Um, I learned how to write um, professionally, I suppose. So I learned how to write, yeah, news articles, features, sports articles, that type of stuff. Um, I, I really was going to say, so, so in, in like school, did you, did you have um, a lot of guidance? Like, did anyone take you under their wing and realise that you had like a natural knack for this or was it were you were you just like just turning up to english smashing it out of the park and then just getting good grades yeah i i, I was always i just the teachers always knew that i was kind of one of the best in the class and um certainly got good grades for, for me gcse's and a levels for english so that was kind of yeah that went hand in hand with that really but no there was no like special treatments or anything. I, there was no, you know, I don't think I was treated any any different than than anybody else. I suppose there was other other decent writers there. There was other, you know, I I did English language for for A level. I didn't do the literature side, which is more heavily on reading. I was I was more keen on the writing at that that stage. Even like writing short stories and little poems and stuff, you know, just in my spare time. 
um, and like mock mock newspaper articles of like the goings on in the sixth form block. We used to pin them up after like a night out or a weekend. We'd have all gone to a party. We'd do like you know mock newspaper articles of whatever went on. So we there was a, me and a couple couple of other couple of other people who, who like that we were in our element doing that stuff. So yeah, very much the writing side. But yeah, not nothing nothing too much really. I was kind of determined in my own head that journalism was what I wanted to do and. You know, you do the careers advice sessions, and they were like, oh, "So, what do you like doing?" I was like, "Oh, I quite like writing." You know, um, write certainly writing more than reading at that stage. Um, you know, I'm quite inquisitive, like asking questions and stuff. And it was always like, "Oh, I'll do journalism," it's like it was obvious. So that's yeah, that's what I did really, uh, and had these big grand ideas of being like, you know, an investigative reporter, like. Um, Roger Cook back in the day, but I suppose it's more who does that now. More like Louis Theroux going and interviewing people and investigating um, kind of you know weird stuff and criminals and all of that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's did, yeah, that's how it that's how it really started off. Did you have any like um, like inspirations during like your young years? Then like did, I don't know if you had any movies or you know like Louis Theroux for example, TV series that that really like. Um, Fan the flames, I suppose. Not so much for the writer, no. I was a huge comedy fan growing up. Um, I remember my mum. Um, she was she always worked as a like a care assistant in a nursing home, and um, one night, um, where she'd work nights was a Thursday. She'd do like a twelve-hour shift, and that night, me and my dad would like Thursday night was like the boss comedy night on BBC and Channel Four and stuff. So I remember me and my dad would like. We'd look forward to that night. It was just like, yeah, just me and him. Like, obviously, my dad said before got, got me into Scrabble. He like, he, he loves all the same comedy that I love as well. Probably, you know, it's it's probably a coincidence that everything he kind of introduced me to, I kind of loved. I don't know if it's probably hereditary, isn't it? You probably laugh at yeah. the same stuff your your, par- your parents do. Um, but yeah, I remember like back then it was like you know Harry Enfield and the Fast Show. And all of those kind of really funny, you know, comedies from from like the kind of late mid to late nineties, um, which I was just kind of hooked on. And then after that, it went to you know the likes of The Office and and Alan Partridge and things like that, which were all um, you know things that I loved and and st- stuff that I still kind of use today within some of my writing. It's it's heavily influenced by kind of comedy and and um, you know the different. Um, styles of of the type of stuff that I loved back then. So I'd say they were my biggest um, biggest influences, yeah. Rather than any any other kind of writers or reporters or anybody like that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a shame actually that in a way because you know with um, with like streaming services nowadays, you have everything uh, at your fingertips. But when I was growing up, I, I'm I'm a little bit younger than you, but for me, it was, um, I used to look forward to the Channel 4, I think it was Friday night, Friday night comedy on Channel 4, and that was around um, uh, the IT Crowd, um, Peep Show, and uh, there was something else. It was IT Crowd, Peep Show, oh, and Shameless, that was it. Um, and that, it, it's a shame, really, that that's, that's not really a thing anymore, is it? Like, you know, the whole, everyone gets around um, the TV on, a, on, on an evening, um, which I, th- I think is quite sad, really. Mm. Yeah, it's completely gone, hasn't it? It's it's we're in a, a non-linear kind of world now, aren't we? Everything's just 
on demand whenever you want to kind of watch it. So yeah, I think yeah, I think it is quite it is quite sad. Um, I, it was it was certainly a time that I. I, I remember now, looking back, I was like, Thursday nights were the nights where me and my dad would just be pissing ourselves all night long. It was just like, looked look forward to it so much. Um, and yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's none of that anymore. We're kind of spoiled for choice, aren't we? Yeah, I'm sure, sure you're the same, sitting, yeah, spending the first half an hour looking for something to watch on, on you know, all oh, Netflix and Amazon Prime or whatever. I'm just like, does my head in sometimes. I'm just like, stick a film on. I'm not, I'm not really bothered. Yeah, I'm the worst for that. I um, you only have to ask my uh fiance or, or my friend, my old flatmate. He used to, I used to drive him nuts because we'd go out. We'd have this little routine where we'd go out and get some food, or order a takeaway, and we'd pick something. But because I was so spoiled for choice, I could I can never decide. And then I I'm a reviews person, so I'll go through like Rotten Tomatoes, and then I'll work out the best aggregated score. And then by the time we've done that, it's 45 minutes in. You could have watched a a whole episode or something. <laughs> so it is um. I do sort of miss the days, to be honest, where everyone, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, really, was it? But that, you know, when, when you've got that, that event, I suppose, I think you put it really well, actually, non-linear, like that, that's such a good way to describe things like non-linear because um, it's, yeah, you don't have that schedule for, for like comedy or uh, drama or whatever anymore. It's like everything we've gone from a totally linear where everything we consumed, it was just like whatever, whatever time it was on the telly, you were for, kind of forced to either watch it then or wait for it to come on or like, you know, stick your videotapes in and, and watch pre-record or stuff that you've recorded in the past. And it was the same with news before the internet came out. It's the same with, with newspapers, wasn't it? You, like you'd buy a newspaper now and mm. like you already know everything that's in it because it was like from 12 hours ago. It's, it's like completely changed, um, which, you know, it's within this information kind of super super highway now, aren't we, where everything's a million miles an hour. I quite like now and again sitting down with a paper, just having a little read, especially where it's the kind of, you know, longer commentary articles and a bit more in-depth than you perhaps sit down and read on your phone. Um, quite like that, especially sports and stuff. Um, reading what you know, ex players think about you know a team, our team's done, or giving little in- insights and stuff. Um, I think that's, I think that's where it, it could kind of still live on, really, going into those more in-depth um, articles and stuff, rather than just you, you get a news report, which most of the tabloids do. How long do you reckon like newspapers will survive? Um, probably. They'll, they'll probably survive as as long as as long as humans and until you know until we get to the stage where we've basically got digital paper and you know we're reading stuff but like Harry Potter sort of thing like moving pictures yeah yeah I'm not I'm not really a Harry Potter fan but I kind of I can kind of imagine what you mean there's something in Minority Report the film with Tom Cruise where were, um, there was like yeah there was like a digital newspaper and it was updating like breaking news this fellow was on the run. I remember seeing yeah. that, so yeah, some probably something similar to that. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm 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 a bit of a traditionalist at heart, so I quite like yeah, quite like the oldie worldy way of doing stuff. Still, I'll still buy a paper and have a little read through it. I used to love getting the newspaper. I used to um, I used to always get it for the for the sport. Um, I think I used to buy. I can't remember which one I used to buy now, but um, the the, the newspaper thing. I wonder how long it's going to be around because the Gen Z, they 
I'm not sure if that if they take to like physical magazines and newspapers. I'm not I'm not sure if they're. I think it, I I personally think in like 50 years I'd be surprised if we still got like physical versions of things. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how like journalism um, evolves with that and with all the you know the technology and everything. Um, oh. Did you so so you you were saying obviously you, you're doing journalism at uni. Did did you did you cover any of that like the future of journalism in uni? Yeah, we did a little bit. Yeah, I think there was I think there was a module on the future. Of, yeah, I mean, I'm talking. It was like twenty years ago since I graduated. Now, so yeah. yeah, it was a while back. But yeah, I'm sure there was it an article on the, the future of journalism. And I remember at the time, like when you you got your first two years out the way, and then in the third year you specialised in, in you know one particular route. So there was newspapers, there was radio, TV, and online had only just come out really. Google. Well, there was no social media back then. 2003 it was. I graduated, so there's no social media. Google was probably like four, three or four years old, maybe. I only really started using it in second year uni, which makes me sound like a dinosaur. I've got a little nephew who's eight, he's 18 next week, and like I'll tell him stuff. Like he was born in 2005, so I'll tell him stuff wow. from like the 90s, and you can just see it blowing his like mind. I'm like, it didn't even have a mobile phone until I went to uni. First year at uni, two, the year 2000 was my first phone. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's mad kind of thinking back. But um, but I remember at that, that stage, I was like, what shall I do here? I wasn't really, wasn't really keen on telly or radio. Um, and the, um, the newspaper route, you had to get up and do two hours of shorthand every single day. And I was like, not, not doing that. Like, does, doesn't set, I don't, don't fancy getting up every day after after a Wednesday night at Tokyo Joe's. No thanks. So, um, so yeah, in my final year, I did online journalism. So we learned a little bit of HTML and Dreamweaver, so how to build a website, um, and and also a little bit of Photoshop, which is mad because I still I still use those the Photoshop skills today. Just really basic stuff like cropping around and. You know, cutting out people's heads and stuff, but I'll, I'll use that for some of my LinkedIn content. So it's it's handy having all of that stuff. I mean, I'm talking. Use the skills you learned in uni twenty day. years ago on Photoshop now. <laughs> Honestly, stuff I did, I've got, I, I've, I've always had a photo, copy of Photoshop wherever I've worked, and even just like for my kind of private stuff. Whenever I whenever I want to kind of crop a photo or you know, like I said, cut a head out. I, I still kind of use that, and there's people doing like guides to how to use Canva and stuff. I'm like, ah, I'd learned Photoshop back when I was at uni. So, so yeah, there was only two of us. There was like 100 people in the year and two of us did did online journalism. So there was, there was three online journalism tutors and there was two two students. So I got like a really intensive um, intensive training. Um, and yeah, so they, they kind of merged us. We were the, we, we were the, the undergraduates. They merged us with the ma- a master's class as well. So there's like 10 doing a master's in online journalism, one of whom uh, went on to become famous. Do you remember, um, I don't know when he won it, a few years ago, the Lost Voice guy in Britain's Got Talent, um, Lee Ridley. Do you ever remember Lee him? Lee Ridley. Lee Ridley, he's a comedian. Yeah, Lost Voice guy. He's a guy, he, he, um, he's got cerebral palsy uh, and he tells kind of all... Um, you know, ableist jokes, and I think what what's this? I'm only in this for the for the free parking or something, or I'm only in this for the parking badge. Um, he's hilarious, like um. So we, yeah, he was he was one of the the guys on the on the MA. Oh wow, yeah, I recognise this guy actually. Yeah, yeah. So he um yeah he went on he he actually won that which was which was nuts. But so so he was at the time yeah 
he was doing the MA, like a one year master's course. Um, and we we kind of had a master's, almost like a master's level focus um, for undergraduate level. They're like doing the set, using the same textbooks and stuff. So um, that was really, yeah, that was really good. And, and like I said, it, it stood me in kind of good stead. I was still learning the journalism, um, you know, the journalism part to it. So uh, rather than like the newspaper um, route, they had to make like a, you know, a newspaper every week. Um, and the radio route had to make like radio packages and stuff. I had to build my own website and and add like you know multimedia to it. So I was I made like a, a student travel website for my final course, and I was interviewing like people from travel student travel agents. Went to the like the university doctor asking them about immunizations, doing like travel guides and all. Oh, this is like pre-trip wealth, pre-trip advisor. Um, so yeah, the very the very basic of the basic. Um, but putting all my kind of writing skills for the test alongside the technical stuff. So it was, it was good. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Awesome. So, so what did you do after uni then? So my first job was as a football writer for the Premier League website, or it was a company that, um, it was an agency that had, um, the contract to do the, the website for the Premier League sponsor at the time, which is Barclay card. I think that it was part of their remit. They needed to have some kind of website with regularly updated stuff and this agency, um, they had the contract for that. So I was one of like four writers writing about, I think we had like five, yeah, five teams each, um, just, just writing about all the transfers that were happening. It, it was just straight after I'd graduated. So yeah, I was writing about all the transfers that summer and um, any get kind of friendly games that I had. I was only there for like four months. They, they let me go in the end. I don't think my face really, really fit there. <laughs> but um, it was, a, yeah, it was a decent little job. Didn't pay, you know, pay, you know, like paid terribly in, in all honesty. <laughs> Um, it was kind of it was kind of doing journalism in a in a roundabout way. I wasn't doing any first-hand interviews or anything. Most of it was just rewriting what was on the press association newsfeed. But you know, I was still still giving it my best shot, really. Um, and then yeah, once I got let go from there, a few months later, one of the one of my old lecturers got in touch, and he knew that I was obviously looking for work. And he's like, fancy coming and being the editor of our our journalism department website. So. I went back to the uni where I'd just done my course and all my tutors that had been teaching me, they became my colleagues. So yeah, I was I was working alongside them. Not teach although I did do a little bit of teaching actually. Stood in for stood in for a lecture one day, which is mad when you're like twenty two, like teaching you know, a, a class of people who are only like maybe two years younger than you, all your kind of expertise. But I mean I suppose I'd graduated by then, so I've kind of blagged it a little bit. Um, yeah. But the, yeah, yeah, I was there for like a couple of years, yeah, working on working on various websites at the uni uh, as editor of them. So, yeah, uh, interviewing students, writing about courses and guest lectures would come in and or if they get like, you know, this fancy new kit, I'd, I'd write all about that for the website. So um, even then I thought I was kind of, I thought it was still rooted in journalism, but it was still plugging the uni. I was still copywriting in a way. I was still kind of advertising, more more kind of PR, I suppose, than raw copywriting. But it was the job after that where I, I kind of I found found copy. So I, I ended up getting a job. Uh, wanted to be close to home. I went to uni in Preston, which is like an hour away from from Liverpool. But I'd met a girl at the time and wanted to move back home to be closer to her. And yeah, found a, found a job just. It was like over the road from my primary school where I went to. So like the very first place where I learned all of this, you know, the, the writing and storytelling and stuff. 
yeah, it was like over the road, like twenty yards away, and I was yeah working for that company, which was a it was it was a Christmas hamper company, which yeah, a bit of a mad one at the time, but yeah, I was there. It was a what? Sorry, magazine, a Christmas hamper company. So you know, you you get these Christmas hampers, um, full of you know, you had meat hampers and you know confectionery sweet hampers and yeah. stuff. Um, so people mainly lower income families. Um, they would save up throughout the year, and then at the end of the year, um, they they get this, you know, big big hamper in return. So that I mean, that was the kind of tra- the traditional side of the business. A lot of the things that they sold were mainly gift vouchers, so people would, you know, give ten quid a week throughout the year, and at the end of the year, they'd have five hundred quid for, for for to buy all their kids Christmas presents. But I mean, these are the type of people if their washing machine broke in like March. They, they didn't they didn't have enough money to buy a new one so they'd end up dipping into their christmas fund so this was a kind of a more um what's the word like a, a more sensible way i suppose of mm. making sure that um you know your christmas was sorted regardless of what happened to the year um so so yeah i was there for about 10 years um started as the editor of their customer magazine and then yeah by the time i left i was doing the the product catalog all the sales emails um, I had a small team who, who did. Yeah, I was head of copy there when I left. So um, yeah, we were doing or every everything that the, the company produced really by way of marketing messaging all went through me. So yeah, I'd kind of learned on the job there over. I made that transition from journalist to, to copywriter within um, within like a decade working there. What kept you there so long then? Um, just it was handy. It was around the corner um, from where I lived, so it was it was a cushy little job. It was doing kind of what I'd I'd gone to uni for. Um, the money was all right. I had a load of mates there. I never really, yeah, I never really kind of wanted to. I thought, um, this is just suits me. Like I didn't really see myself working in a big city. I, I, you know, I, the Premier League website that was in Manchester, so I was travelling back in there. Like you know, so that I'm not doing that every every single day. And you know, remote working. It's, again, it's like I got that job in like 2005. I don't even think broadband was powerful enough back then to do to support remote working. I think we was still just in the in the throes of dial-up internet. So um, everything was kind of office-based. And yeah, I just got into a little routine there. Probably probably outstayed me welcome by like five years. Um, when you kind of get, or I certainly did, kind of got quite comfortable in the job. Got to the point where it was like I knew it inside out. I didn't really have that much confidence to to, to kind of get, think how I could go out and better myself or get a better job. Or there was nothing really out there. I, I always had one eye on the market, but I was like, let's just stay here. Um, but then, yeah, after about eight years, one of my mates who worked there, he, he just um, up sticks and went to move to Dubai. To, um, him and his missus, she had a job as a um, a, a, well, as a cabin crew for. Um, one of the airlines out there and he moved over there and got a job at an agency and then um, got in touch with me to see if I wanted to do a little bit of work for them so that was the first time I was like mm, I could earn a little bit earn a little bit on the side here so that lit the fuse mm-hmm. um, for for what I'm doing now really yeah and that was like probably 20 when was that that was about 2014 2015 um, and then within 18 months I'd, I'd uh, sacked my job off and went full time freelance. Started me started it on my own, like so. Yeah, that was the, the kind of transition. So, Were you yeah. nervous about setting up your own business and pulling the trigger? 
Um, somebody asked me that earlier, actually, earlier today, and probably a tiny bit, really, because I've been, um, when, he, when he asked me to do that job for him, and I got paid for it. I was like, right, you know, I want to, I want to do more of these little jobs. So they were sending me more work. I was doing more work for the agency, but work writing for like big brands out in the Middle East. Like I was writing for the likes of Standard Chartered and Land Rover and Emirates while I was still doing a day job in a Christmas hamper factory. It was just like what, just nuts. Like it blew my mind at the time. Um, so I was earning, almost earning like a second wage for about nine months, I'd say. Um, and in that time, I'd, I thought, right, I, I need to start, you know, marketing myself almost and attracting other clients rather than this one. So how can I do that, right? I'll stick a portfolio together. So um, bought a web domain, branded myself the word man, and I thought, right, let's just let's just see how it goes. Like, that wasn't really, I thought, you know, if it, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I've still got a job at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, I'd stuck, stuck my portfolio online and... I kind of SEO'd all my pages to a, um, to be top of Google for like you know Liverpool copywriter and North Wales copywriter and people kind of close enough to be able to travel to if if they wanted me to meet them and the clients just started coming in like I couldn't believe it I was like wow I'd get a phone ah yeah just you know work for this kayak company in Mould North Wales Do you fancy um, writing our product descriptions companies like you'd never even heard of and probably just you know on industrial estates just needed coffee and I I was the, the, the go-to guy because they'd googled and I, I was landing like number one and I had a bit of a portfolio behind me with like the likes of Land Rover and Emirates and Standard Chart and it was mm. like mm, you know he knows what he's doing here um well, so just just so, yeah, inbound so business, like just just from from a website, or that's all. That's all it was. Yeah, I just I just, actually, <laughs> just I'm still now, still to this day, I'm I'm top for. Um, if you type in freelance copywriter Liverpool, I'm number one. Freelance copywriter North Wales, I'm number one. Freelance copywriter Manchester, I'm number one. It's just like just from sticking that website up there and not and just having that in my H1 tag. It's just like I just and again that was just on from having couple of conversations with the seo people in the hamper company where i work and they were like this is your best bet of doing it like so no paid no social at that point wasn't even on twitter nothing at all and i was getting inquiries through so it was kind of just like in my own head i'm thinking is this how easy it is like yeah put a website up there um and then of course um yeah i did a little bit more reading and how to market yourself and you know this magical thing called social media was there um as a yeah, a shining light. So I, I joined Twitter and connected with all the, all the all the copywriters and creatives on Twitter. Um, only really like yeah, 2015 I think I started taking it seriously, um, and it just went on from there. I went to like the Pro Copywriters Network um, conference, got got the, the Hamper Company to pay for it. Um, I was like yeah, this will benefit me in work. So yeah, they they paid for <laughs> it and made loads of contact there and and kind of started building up my network. So that was, um, yeah, that was like probably about around about the same time I'd set up my portfolio. I thought, right, I'm going to start, um, yeah, market myself on, on Twitter as well. And it was never like, hi, come and hire me, do this. It was always just uh, stuff I've written. If you want something similar, give me a buzz. It was just all dead chilled. It was not, no hard sell. It's just the kind of way I've always felt comfortable, um, you know, flogging my own, my own stuff, which is, I'll give away as much as I can for free, and I'll I'll show you everything I've done, 
and you know if you like your sound let's have a chat and we'll we'll take it from there like but um so yeah so i was getting the clients in doing that like and i remember going like on my dinner hour i'd go i'd get i'd have a call hi can you meet me and i'd be like yeah let's meet in starbucks cheshire it's like a little little shopping center by us so i met this client just i had like like on the clock like an hour i had to be there and back clock in and clock out um so i met him i was like yeah go ahead let's take your brief do the product descriptions and then that night like finished finished work on home six o'clock i was working like six till ten like most nights just from the dining room table i was just like i was just smashing the work like, it was nothing is it, is it like I, did you ever get burnt out or like do you just love it just just loved it at the start it was just pure like i'm doing this just to earn mega but and i felt like mega 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 bucks at the time because i was earning a salary and i wasn't i was earning probably not far off my other salary so i doubled my money within like nine months and i was just like this is mad this is mad so um yeah the money was the big draw but then i kind of i loved the freedom I, I you know i'd been writing for five businesses within the group that i worked for they had five different brands i've been writing about them for 10 years mm. given these briefs i was just like i'll gobble all of them up like I, I i'll i was i was dying to do it It was stuff that i loved doing it was it never felt like a chore and the fact that i was getting paid for it as well it was just like i was in dr- pure dreamland um and then yeah i got it got to the point where i had the opportunity to um to take voluntary redundancy and I was just like, it's now, it's now or never. Like, so, yeah, that was 2016, um, and I'm noticing, um, yeah, left, left that company. Um, I haven't only really been freelancing for like properly for nine months on the side, but I had the website mm-hmm. set up. I was working for about three clients re- regularly, only small fry compared to what you know what I charge now. Probably a tenth of what I charge now, but to me back then that was mega bucks because. I was comparing it to, you know, not a not a low paid job at, uh, in my previous role, but it was nothing compared to, you know, what's what's available and what what the opportunities are available to you when you when you're freelancing in comparison. So so yeah, so after yeah after about um, nine months of freelancing, handed me notice in and went yeah went freelance and I, I, I came to this place. I've been here ever since 2016. That was so that meant like a co-working space now. So it's. Yeah, and the co-working space was introduced to me by one of my, my, my third ever clients at the time, whose accountant actually runs it, and he he sits over there, and he's my accountant. Oh really? Does my does my books and my limited company? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll me set all of that up like after a couple of years that I was here. So it's um, so yeah, it's just a bit of a mad whirlwind kind of um, journey into it. But, but to answer your question, no, didn't because I had the the portfolio because I had a few clients because I had the ability I think to I knew I was quite confident in bringing new clients in if I put the work in and just carried on growing my network on social I knew you know like what is it Kevin Gosner if you build it they will come I was like that's all I've got to do really just keep plugging away and I've always had since then I've never had a single dry patch not one have I ever thought well the other words next client coming in it's the other it's always been the other way around which I'm like dead lucky because I know there's I've got mates who it's not like that for them. They they, they find it hard to uh, drum up work, especially now cost of living. Is, is it luck so, though? Like what 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 are you doing that's that all the other corporators aren't doing? Um, I think the time I think the timing of it is probably luck. 
I had a few opportunities that kind of just fell into my lap. Like I was working in a job, but the confidence was low. And my mate, Matt, in, in Dubai went, yeah, do you fancy doing this? I was like, oh, yeah, sound. I mean, I know it, it, you're, probably, you're probably right. It's like, it's like, what's the saying? The, the harder I work, the luckier I get. But mm. back then, it, it just felt like if he hadn't if he hadn't given me that, I wouldn't be sat here today. That was the one thing that gave me the, the kind of confidence to do it. So I see that as luck. Maybe the fact that I was going home and grafting, doing four hours a night while doing a day job and not really having much of a social life outside of it. Um, that's probably hard work. But, yeah. I'd say it, it all stemmed from that one thing. And I will, I mean, I never, I never, what's the phrase, I always get phrases wrong. I never rest on my laurels. I always do think that the moment I, st- I stop working hard, I think that kind of luck might run out, but there's still a lot of luck in it. There's loads of little opportunities that have only just, they just kind of stumbled my way. And I, I, you look back at them and think, like, how have they found me? It's not just like, oh, hi, we've, you know, we, we've, um, been recommended, yeah, or we found you on social media. Just be like, just just pure like out the blue, weird circumstances that have ended up with clients at my door. So I think there's, um, yeah, there's there's probably yeah, luck, luck and hard work kind of merged into into one really. I think you're underplaying your hard work aspect, to be honest, because I I, I think even if you could you could go up to someone, they could be working like similar situation to you. Um, and they could get a situation where they could set up their own company and you chuck them an opportunity, but you go, look, you don't have to work every evening, but you have to do it three nights a week, six till 10 for the next six months. And then you'll earn five times what you're earning now, but you have to put in that graph for six months. Most people I don't think would do it, honestly. And I, th- I think, um, I suppose a lot of people aren't working a job they're passionate about anyway, but yeah, for, for you, I think that's, you know, that's pretty incredible that you were doing one job and then having the energy and the mental strength to, to go and do another one in the evening, especially as well. Like it's not um, like my background's in like recruitment and sales, mm. but yours is a creative job. So like, did you ever get like writer's block at all? Or did you ever find that the, because you were working like two jobs, did you ever find that your main jobs um, was suffering at all because the, the creative juices were like running out? Or I think the, the type of work that I was doing, it wasn't like the stuff I do now. A lot of the stuff I do now is kind of the big idea. So it's concepts for campaigns. It's it's tone of voice stuff, which, you know, it's I probably do like 20% writing, 80% thinking and researching. Just like, you know, writing kind of all a myriad of words down on my pad, hoping that kind of something will, will, will spark. Um, whereas back then it was like, here's a brief, write an email, here's the product, uh, do that. And I, it was like, I knew I had, you know, a subject line to write. Had like still create some, you know, an element of creativity involved mm-hmm. because it was quite task orientated and, and not, um, you know, the, the world joy. I used to come up with a campaign, a, a big idea that's going to engage people, which is like, fuck, you know, I'd probably need probably need a week to get my head around some of these kind of campaigns, the briefs are that kind of in-depth and there's so many different considerations and I've got to, you know, do audience research and all, everything that comes with it. Um, back then, yeah, it was just, it felt quite kind of, um, 
almost like not like a battery hen, but you know, just like yeah, the 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 projects were just coming in, and I was just smashing them, and it was like another one. It wasn't like I was having to really sit down and go, oh, my head's battered with a load of ideas. It was just right. I can write that because I've been I was at the copy for the, that other company because I've been doing it for years. Just, I was just good at it. I could do it, and I all, I've always been able just to be able to um, been able to be able. Bloody hell, it's a long day. Um, yeah, I've always been able to um, kind of get in that zone. When I need to just do a task, I'll just go and I, I try and not, I try not overthink stuff. Um, and if I ever, yeah, if I ever hit writer's block, same way I used to tackle exams. Like if I didn't know the answer to something, it was just right next. I'll move on to something else. Same now. If I hit writer's block now, I don't sit there and go, oh bloody hell. I'm never going to solve this problem. I just go, right, okay, I'll move on to something else because your brain incubates stuff, doesn't it? Your brain just does all the little thinking. You know, pile all the info in there and it'll it'll sort it out on its own um, at the weirdest times. Like, I've got all my notes in my phone from, you know, when I get up in the middle of the night or, you know, when the baby's crying and I've had to, um, you know, he's, he's in the middle of the, middle of the bed between us. <laughs> I'm like that on my notes. Some mad ideas just come to my head, and I'm like that. And my missus is elbowing me, going, oh, no, turn the phone down. And I'm like, yeah. no, I've got to get this idea down. It's like they come at you at the worst. But, you know, you can't, you can't predict when the ideas will come at you. Um, so, yeah, I forgot what the original question was now. But, yeah, I've gone kind of, um, yeah, gone off on a little bit of a mad tangent. But, um, That's interesting, though, because I'm, I can't remember what book I read. Um, it was a quite a well known book, but. It was about the um, the processing power of the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, and mm. you. Saw, I can't. What was the book called? Um, maybe it'll come to me. But it was basically supposedly our unconscious mind has basically like an infinite amount of processing power, and it, it was interesting to hear what you just said there because a, a lot of people obviously struggle with writer's block, whether they're copywriters or journalists or novelists or even like you know music artists. Um, and you seem to have a very relaxed attitude towards it. Whereas I know for a lot of people, it's like, um, have you seen Limitless, the movie Limitless? Yeah. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. So he get he obviously gets writer's block in that at the start. That's the sort of the, the jump off point of the, the movie. And, um, it sort of drives him nuts and he like turns to alcohol and stuff. And I know that happens to quite a lot of like artists and stuff, but yeah, for, for, anyway, for, for you, it's like, it was interesting to hear you say that. I'll just move on to something else and then the brain will sort it out because apparently that's what the brain does um, from like, they've done like studies and it, it like, it does actually work like that. If you, um, if you just sort of like pass it off to your brain sort of thing and just be like, sort that out, I'll come back to it. Yeah. And then like you said, it just, it, it's like a notification. It's like, Oh, we've got an idea now in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning. That's exactly, honestly, that's exactly what it's like. And some, like some of the stuff, some of your best thoughts, I've, I've happened in the middle of the night where I just I haven't I haven't been thinking about a job for like two days, and I'll just go bing in there, and I'm like right I'll write that down, and then the next day I'll send it to me you know send it to yourself and get it up on my desktop, and some of them ideas are like wow that, like where did that come from you don't even know where it's come from it's just sparked it might have been I might have glimpsed at a billboard driving home and that just maybe thought oh how could that be adapted or I've overheard something you know in the pub at the weekend or. I've not that I go to the pub anymore because I've got a little one, um, <laughs> or like I could have, I could have, I don't know, like even watching something, watching something on Netflix. It's like, oh yeah, never heard that phrase before. That might come in handy, and it's just like 
you and you, that's not even a conscious thing. It just goes in there, and your brain just goes, "Yeah, so I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll I'll rework it." Um, but back to like you said before about like I'm quite relaxed about it. I always, I always have been really. It's like, you know, we're not. I'm not a surgeon. It's like at the end of the day, <laughs> I'm, just doing a, I'm, just, I'm just doing a, you know, I'm just creating some ads. I'm doing a little bit of marketing. You know, what's the worst that could happen if I don't? Ninety-nine out of a hundred. I'll at least have some idea as to where it's going to go, and that idea is going to be ninety-nine times out of a hundred better than anybody or most other people that I know either works within the company that they could give it to. So it's going to it's going to at least solve some element of the brief. On the rare occasion that it doesn't, I just don't I don't go too hard on myself. I, I just again it's probably back to be you know have been lucky enough to have that kind of luxury of choice in terms of clients. I'm not like, uh, I'm not, you know, my family's not going to starve if I miss out, if a client goes, oh, you know, you haven't solved that brief for us, see you later, and bins me off. It's like, so I never really try and, you know, take it, take too much pressure on, on myself. And, and if I ever, if it ever gets to the point where a job's doing me head in or I can't nail the brief, yeah, I just take a step back and it, it, it irons itself out normally. Hmm. Do you have like a, like a creative process that you've honed? Like, like, do you have like a step-by-step guide that you go through? Um, like, you know, a place you write, um, time of day you write, or it, like, do you just do you just do stuff and not really realize what you do? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like that kind of regimented routine stuff, I mean, I'm I'm in here most days. Um, I I do like a like an average kind of almost like a nine to five job if I'm, you know behind if i've got something to present tomorrow i might stay late um to, to finish it off um but yeah the, the ideas themselves like i said can come from anywhere the writing them down the, the kind of polishing them putting them into a nice pretty deck to present to my clients that usually kind of just happens here um the process itself um i tend to start whatever the brief is the, the client will send over the brief and i'll you know, take one look at it. I'll highlight all the bits that stand out. I'll kind of rip it apart and say, right, I don't understand that bit. So I'll make a list of questions. What does that acronym mean? I've never read that before in my life. You know, I basically want to get down to the crux of how will this product or service improve someone's life? That's kind of all I want to get to. Mm. Um, and once I know that answer, I can then work back into how I'm going to communicate that in the most effective way so that whoever's reading it at whatever time of day, on whatever device, wherever they're consuming that, they're gonna go, shit! Like that speaks to me. Like I'll I'll read that, I'll click that. Um, so that that's basically. I, I try and keep things that, that as as simple as that. Obviously, it takes a little bit of time. If the you know normally briefs are like eight pages long, and then it's like I'm going back to them saying, okay, t- can you tell me this? Can you tell me that? But once I've got all of that stuff, yeah, I just take a bit of a scalpel to to, to it all, and I end up normally end up with like one. Yeah, one page maybe. A one page with here's the audience, here's the, the thing that they need to know. Here's how it's going to improve their life. You know, here's what I want them to think, feel, do that type of stuff. Um, and and then take it from there. And the, the good, like the good clients I work with, they they kind of all of that's really succinct within their briefs. But then there's, you know, you get client. I've got my own briefing form with like ten questions on. If it's a bit small business, that's never really. You know, someone's maybe said, "Oh, you need a copywriter to do your website." 
and they've never really done it before. It can be a bit like pulling teeth. It's like, okay, now I'm, so, so, you know, what, what do you want the clients to do when on? They're like, I don't know, just buy from us. Like they don't, they don't want to sit call to action or anything. So <laughs> every, everything's kind of got to be um, kind of dumbed down. But I mean, they're they're a, a bit more few and far between. Now I tend to work with clients who know a bit more about you know the, what they're doing. And then um, yeah, in terms of the, the like the creative bit, once I know all of that stuff, I tend to not. I don't just plow in and go. Oh, I'll start writing down a load of ideas. I do. I let it settle for a day or two. And again, I've got the, the luxury of, of working on working with clients and, and on brands who understand that that's needed. It's not just like, I can still, even today, get emails. Hi, can you help us with a website? We need it done by Friday. And it's like, clearly not, like, no, no chance. Like, I probably haven't even got time to meet you before Friday, let alone, you know, yeah. five pages, mate. So it's, um, yeah, they can, they can be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit funny, but, um, but yeah, once once I know what I'm writing about, the kind of the ideas and stuff, I tend to to, to get over. I, I've always kind of done this to get over a blank page, I split the page into four boxes, and whatever I'm writing about, I'll do a box with um, the top left is like synonyms, top right is experiences, bottom left is rhymes, and the bottom right is idioms. So say I'm writing about, you know, a pair of headphones, whatever. Mm. Top left, I'll write, um, you know, synonyms. So what what are other words of headphones? So it'll be like earbuds, um, you know, audio, um, DJ, what, anything, anything kind of related to, to what it is. Then it'll be experiences. And I'll write down my own experiences of headphones. So it'll be like, oh, I remember my first ever set of headphones. I remember I was like eight. I got a Walkman for my eighth birthday with a Whitney Houston tape. And they had like a little little metallic band around, which is dead flimsy and it could probably break. So I'm just jotting all of this down, just my experience of the actual product, which sometimes it's it's impossible because I'll be writing about like, you know, a CRM system, which I've never, yeah. you know, never even had the unfortunate, um, yeah. I've never I've never come across really. So sometimes that's not not um, possible. And then there's one obviously with rhymes. So if it's you know headphones or it'll be like bedphones or a mug could be like jug, thug, whatever. And sometimes a little bit of wordplay can come out of that. And then the bottom one is idioms. So you know yeah, if it was um, anything to do with head, headphones is probably a weird one. But if it was um, if it was like keys, I'm just looking around for objects here. It'd be like what idioms? So it's like key, the key to the door, number four. That's like a bingo impression, bingo expression. And it'll be like the key to the key to the soul, the key to. Uh, and I'm writing down as many kind of where and all that's doing. It's getting my brain thinking about all the potential kind of connections between all of these words, all of these phrases, which might or usually doesn't, which might just result in a nice little hook that um, the rest of the copy can flow from. It might just be might be a nice call to action. Might, might, it might, something I create on that page might just be in a little button at the bottom of an email, or it could be the subject line, or it might just kind of lead onto other ideas. So try and do that first. And one, it gets you past the blank page. You haven't got a blank mm. page anymore because you've got this tiny little e dead quick. It takes five minutes, little process at the start of every job where you just go, right, do, 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 do. So that's a that's the kind of first way, but then, I mean, there's loads of other stuff that goes into it. You know, researching the audience. So, whatever I'm writing about, they'll not. They've normally got their own kind of client, you know, client or customer personas, which 
again, aren't really worth the, the paper that they're printed on usually. Right. So I will, um, you know, I will, I will say, where do your customers hang out? Like what, you know, what, what you know, where do they consume their content? Where, what, what are they, where, where will I see your customers chatting to one another or at least kind of, you know, voicing their opinions about whether it's your products, whether it's something else. Um, and I'll go and have a little snoop, maybe on review sites or forums or um, customer emails sometimes are great where customers have been complaining. You just see the terminology they're using to talk about a product or a service. And then um, sometimes you can play that back within the the copy itself and it's you can kind of talk in their language almost. So that's a nice way to do it, really getting your head into the, the, the voice of the, the customer. Um, so there's a couple of little ways that I'll, I'll get the ball rolling. Um, and then in, in terms of like the big idea itself, I'll tend to group things into themes. So if I'm working on, you know, an ad concept for um, a product, say it was a pair of headphones, I go, right, done all my research, got all of these kind of words out. What, what can I do now? I'll start to group them into like little little pots, almost like little buckets. I'm saying, okay, so one of the, one of the buckets, do you want to con- uh, communicate that these headphones are the world's, or they've got the world's best anti-noise cancellations sound. So that's one bucket. So I'll start to write kind of stuff around that. So it'll be words around noise, anti-noise cancellation. So it'll be like, you know, you know, mute the background noise, mute the world, mute the dog. What else can I mute? So I'm just lashing all of these words down. And then another bucket might be, you've got the longest battery life out of any other headphones in the range. So then all the phrases I'm writing about that will be, you know, lasts all day, lasts longer than you. You know, 24-7 listening, blum, blum, blum. I'm just bashing all of these kind of phrases down. And again, like when I split it into boxes, normally there'll be the semblance of a half decent idea from which something else will hang. Um, and then again, I'll go once I've done that, that for say three different concepts, I'll go away and leave it another couple of days. And then the magic stuff just happens in your head. Another couple of ideas will form. You'll, you'll just add to it throughout the day, you know, a few more notes that you've, you've made in the middle of the night. And then before long after, you know, normally like a week, you've got the bare bones of some decent creative ideas that are going to, um, yeah. So, so do you actually do you actually um, force yourself almost to to walk away and and leave it for a couple of days? Is that something you do every time? Or yeah, I've normally I've normally got the capacity within the, the kind of deadline to you know it's very rare that it'll be like yeah, Dave is a brief. We need it back tomorrow. I, I normally flood my brain with all of that stuff at the start, do that outpouring of initial ideas and stuff. And then yeah, just just force myself to leave it. And it's honestly, if you if you've never done it before, it sounds like I'm bullshitting you. That your brain does all of this stuff, but it, it genuinely does. You come back to it. It's like I'm looking at it with a fresh set of eyes, with all and, and there's loads of little, these little connections. And I'm also I'm getting rid of the shit stuff, and I'm focusing in on the good. I'm like yeah, that's gonna work. That's because it's it's kind of just done the done the thinking for you again. It's, it mm. sounds a bit like Darren Brown almost, you know, like subliminal stuff. But it's yeah. it's like it's proven to work. It works for me, and it works works for loads of other copywriters I know as well. So it's yeah, it's time build time into any anything that involves like coming up with a big idea. You need to build that time in. Like I said, the task stuff, writing an email, whatever. You can all if you're skilled enough and you've got you know enough of a background in doing that stuff, you'll normally be able to rattle off five subject line alternatives or you know a call to action or 
200 word body of an email or whatever probably not even that long needed anymore um but the big idea in itself where everything else stems i'm talking like your campaign concept from which 20 different social media ad variants will flow a, f- a five or six email campaign right down to like the, the wording on you know the app that you want people to use stems from that one two-word phrase sometimes and it's got to be kind of watertight for everything else to flow from it because if it's not you just yeah you're just going to confuse people do you ever see like um like big you know like big brand campaigns on tv or like you know on the london underground or whatever and you just think that's awful yeah all the time yeah it's it's not more more so in the b2b world loads of b2b stuff is is quite nice um i think people tend to have like a different head on when they write for b2b um which i get called out quite a bit i do a do a newsletter every friday now and again i'll i'll throw something in there which is just the worst ross the worst of the worst and i'll say like who writes this shit like one of my dad's phrases when i was growing up he'd say it's it'd see something or whatever or it'd be like a, a really bad b movie you know where like the dubbing's really bad and they're doing these like it's not it's not it's like jackie chan's you know poor relative he's like te- a terrible actor awful moves and my dad would just look at me and go who writes this shit and then that kind of phrase, whenever I see a bad ad or something, it's just, I can just hear his voice in my head. I was telling him the other day, actually, that's his voice echoes through my brain whenever I hear, I hear um, or whenever I read some bad ads. Um, so, yeah, so I, I see it all the time. And it's like, it's like you, you just wonder where, you, you know, A, who's briefing it in, B, who's writing it, and C, who, who the hell's signing it off. It's like, I feel yeah. really, I really feel bad for someone within that chain because somebody must know what they're doing and very often and not because when it's a big big brand there's that many stakeholders involved there's that many that many people in the sign-off procedure that what started life is probably a quite a nice little idea has probably been you know chipped away at what's that oh no we've you know or like you've got a shoehorn in oh you haven't talked we haven't spoken about our innovative solutions so that gets chiseled in or you know added in after and then it's like oh no it doesn't fit on such and such let's take this word out and then before you know it it's just like frankenstein's monster and it, it's not worth the mm. you know the paper it's printed on so i see it i see it all the time um but the, you know I, I see i see loads of really nice and good stuff um and like you know i say i say nice it's like all that matters really is is it effective it's like i could i could say oh that reads like yeah. oh, that looks nice if it hasn't sold any more whoppers for Burger King, it hasn't done its job. Like you can win all the awards you want, but like it's it's got to sell at the end of the day, and it's it's the brands that are kind of where it's where it's making a real impact. They're the they're the best ones. Like and you can you can normally tell um, if it's. I mean, if it grabs my attention, I know I'm kind of biased because I'm looking for this type of stuff. Um, I often think am I too biased? Like would I have noticed that billboard? Would I have taken a photo of that on the on the train? If I wasn't working in this industry, like would my mum, if a dad was targeted, my mum would my mum notice that if she was sat on the bus? I don't know, probably not. You know, I'd have to ask her. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a kind of weird one. But the, the, the good stuff, I try and share that as well. I don't just, you know, I'm not just a, um, I don't just slate the worst. I, I try and big up the good stuff as well. There's loads of people in our industry who do that as well. Vicky Ross, she's um, she's like the. The greatest, the greatest UK um, 
copywriter at the moment in my eyes, like in terms of um, kind of benefiting the industry and, and, and talking about all the good stuff that goes on. She, uh, yeah, she gets people jobs and shares um, all the best ads and stuff. So she's a shining light. And I was, again, dead lucky. As I keep saying lucky. Stop saying that, shouldn't I? I was dead lucky to um, kind of meet her early on and, and make connections with her early on when I started on Twitter before I went um, freelance. So I've had loads of nice, kind of, even though they're you know, not official mentors, but loads and loads of really great people who not, clearly know their stuff, um, who've kind of been guiding me along along that way as well. Mm. Yeah, well, no, yes, yeah, it sounds like you've had a a really interesting journey, which which has certainly been paired with like hard work and talent, right? But I mean, moving on to like you know what everyone will know you from, which is LinkedIn and. Um, do you, do, what, what, where's your biggest following? Is it LinkedIn or is it Twitter or? Um, what? Yeah, in terms of like numbers, yeah, it's like LinkedIn. It's like six, sixty thousand followers. I don't keep count. I do. Um, Sixty-one. Yeah, I checked today. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm doing myself a disservice. Yeah, sixty-one thousand on LinkedIn. Um, which I, I don't. It's a, it's a weird one. LinkedIn. You become someone's follower just by. You don't even have to click follow sometimes, do you? You just have to consume some of their stuff. But you just have to click on their profile and you, you like automatically follow them. It's happened with me in the past. So I I um yeah, I'm a little bit dubious about LinkedIn followers, but yeah, I've got like six yeah, sixty thousand on there and like I don't know, fifteen something, fifteen thousand maybe on Twitter. Um but LinkedIn's where I get business and Twitter's just all my creative mates. There's a very there's a very harsh divide there. Don't get any business off to it. Oh, now and again, I'll get like, all right, Dave, um, trying to do this job for our agency from like another creative mate of mine. But mm. it's not, it's not somewhere where I, you know, I won't do how to do this, ten ways to do this, because I know the business owners uh, that I want to read that type of stuff, they'll be on, um, on LinkedIn rather than Twitter. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it's more. It's back to the time thing as well. I've been using LinkedIn like seriously since twenty, like twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. So I think it's kind of just grown organically. I don't think I've like absolutely battered it and gone, oh, follow me, follow me, or you know, I haven't done any campaigns where it's consciously about kind of build a following or grow a community. I haven't got a community. Even the following, it's like it's the sound it's nice to, nice to have a load of people who, who like who are there reading my stuff but that's all it is really i just see it just purely as more people are seeing the stuff when i click post more people are seeing it so it's got more chance for their second and third connections to maybe go oh I quite like that i'll get in touch with them it's all i do for really i'm not you know you see see these influencers with like balloons gold balloons when they reach a hundred thousand followers and like oh, i'm having a having a party for you know, like, 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 what planet are you on? That's, you know what I mean? It's like nuts. So the, the whole personal branding side of things, I mean, it's one of the things that I take the piss out of quite a lot. It's just like no one's, no one outside of LinkedIn is really asked, are they? It's good, great for your business and stuff, but mm. I, most people I know in the real world, they're not even on LinkedIn. You know, wouldn't most of my mates, they work like manual jobs. They're like... Uh, oh, there's a fifty. There's a fairly even split. No, half of us are office based. The rest are like pipe fitters and welders and and whatnot. Right. They just just couldn't LinkedIn. give a shit. <laughs> not on LinkedIn. 
not, not on LinkedIn at all. So I went to them and went, oh, you know, Mike, I've just got 60,000 followers on LinkedIn. He'd go, oh, nice one, mate. And he'd be like, what's, what's, what's LinkedIn? Like, I'm not asked. Like, it doesn't, doesn't like, bother them. So I think um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people building their personal brand, they can get a bit obsessed with it and just focus on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Looking at shield metrics. And I can understand that in terms of, like, oh, doing more posts, you know, do more of what works and, you know, sack off the less, um, you know, just the, the, the polls, that, the, the polls, the, um, the posts that, don't perform as well in terms of engagement, but I genuinely wouldn't be asked if I wrote a post tomorrow, it got zero likes, what one person picked up the phone and went, oh, I like that post. Oh, I didn't, didn't click like on it, but will you write this for me? I go, sound, job done. That's all, that's all it's there for, really. The vanity metrics are yeah, are there just to be poked for, and that's what I do on a daily basis. That's interesting that you're, you're highly, you, your success on LinkedIn is what, a lot of companies and people would pay, you know, a lot of money, tens of thousands of pounds for. And there's, there's obviously a lot of, you know, personal branding coaches on LinkedIn and LinkedIn coaches and stuff, um, way more than there was like four years ago. And, you know, even even some of those guys, they they have half of what you have, but you 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 don't seem that bothered by it all, <laughs> um, which is quite funny actually, because I was that's what I was gonna, I really wanted to ask you, like how how has that affected you? Like as it's grown, as you've become, well, at least in my world anyway, I can't remember how long I've been following you. It must, it must be a few years now. It must be like three or four years. Um, mm. Cause you've been a bit of a mainstay of my timeline for a while, but you're at least in my community, you're, you're very well known, you know, like you're, you're um, the funny copywriter guy who posts, who winds up mm. scammers and, um post really good uh, copywriting content and so uh, at no point did you ever get like like wow this is blowing up this is awesome or you're just like nah not not us yeah i mean it, the first time it blew up for me was when i did this post it kind of went viral for two weeks the numbers were just going up and up and up and i'm just like wasn't like screen grabbing the numbers going oh this is amazing all I was doing was like, shit, there's 300 people got in touch in, in, within the, the space of me posting. And two weeks later saying, can you write this? Can you write exactly what you've done for our business? And I was contacted at the time for, a, for a, a big credit card company doing, again, nine to five job. So I was like, I had my dinner hour, like between 12 and one, just to like respond to as many people as I could. And like, because my, back, my background was just write the writing side of things. I don't really, I've never really been the type to, you know, set up these sophisticated, you know, automated response systems. Kind of goes against everything I stand for, really, which is just being, like, as authentic and as normal as you, you can be, really. I've never really, like, I don't completely understand the whole market machine and how it works. And, you know, I know you, you've got to make that work for you. But at the time, for me, it was just like, I've had 300 people getting in touch with me. Like I'll use, I'll use that, and and my focus. I'll, I'll sorry, I'll I'll respond to them. I'll see what work I can drum up. Ended up getting a, a good, probably like between 20 and 30 grand worth of business off the back of that one post. So that was me just like going, oh, okay, sound. So if I can replicate that that approach, um, it's gonna bring more business in. It was like a no-brainer. So. Again, at that stage, at no point was I going, oh, oh let's get loads of followers. I kind of knew that having more followers would, you know, 
result, like I said before, in the, a wider reach for every post that you put out. So it's, not, it's great having 60,000. You know, if I had 6,000 as opposed to 60,000, a much smaller number of people would be seeing that stuff and hence mm. you know, a much smaller number of people would, would you know, have the potential to, to get in touch with me. It's just it's just maths, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, at the time, I, I was, wasn't focused on the growing of followers numbers. Never have been. It's always just been about getting them inquiries in. Um, and, yeah, at the, at the time when I got that, when it went viral, I got like, it had like a million views. There was no, you know, I wasn't, there was no like tracking or anything back then on LinkedIn. It was just like what you saw at the bottom of the post. That's the number. Right. And if you refresh the page, it would go up a little bit. There wasn't like these little charts or anything. It wasn't as sophisticated as that. Um, but yeah, it was just like, how can I replicate this? How can I get more business in? Um, so I just started trying stuff, trying similar stuff to what I'd, I'd done. That post was more about kind of descriptive copywriting, just dead simple. It was relatable. It was transferable to any business. And it made people stop and think, you go, wow, yeah, bloody hell. All I need to do is make that little change. Um, and, and that could improve my copy on my website. Sound, he knows what he's talking about. Let's get in touch. Um, I've had a few copywriters over the years actually get into say, why are you giving all your secrets away? Like, you, you, like you're giving away stuff that they should be paying for. And I'm like, because everyone's lazy. They won't do it themselves. Yeah. They'll see that I know what I'm talking about and just go, hey, can you can you come and see that post you've done there? Can you come and do that for us? So, yeah, I kind of I think I annoy a few people, but um, but yeah, the personal brand thing, it's never I've never kind of consciously done it. I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm not I'm not soft. I know just by the amount of you know engagement most of my stuff gets that you know I'm I'm probably the the, the known person for that funny copywriting. Um, more people are doing it now, so by by no means think I'm you know the only one doing it. There's there's uh, you know so many funny funny writers on there, like proper hilarious like which I I love and um yeah consume their stuff every day. Um, but it's not really yeah it's not really anything. It's probably probably to my detriment. I think if I had a bit more of a grip on my kind of personal brand. And was the type to go right? Okay, and now I've got X number of followers. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna create a digital product for every single type of persona within those those people. Or I'm gonna, you know, really delve deep into the, um, you know, my audience and, you know, write stuff for all the main job titles that are within. It's like, I'm what like if I was if I was business minded, and wanted to kind of run this big business where it was just a content churn sound. I'd I'd do that, but I never really wanted to be. A manager even i just love i just love the creative mm. stuff so it gets me out of bed and if it means i earn underground less than i probably could by being really shrewd and, and putting a load of digital products out and so be it i'm you know i'm not i'm not sure i'm not short so i'm not really wanting to, um to be chasing after those big you see people all the time i've made two hundred thousand in the last six months by doing these you know, followed my tense. That's like fuck off. Like I'm not asked. Like so what? I know. I know that's that's what that's what some people kind of that's their idea of success. For me, it's it's not at all. It's mm. not. It's living happy. It's having enough. You know, to feed my family, have the odd holiday, to have a decent car, and have fun in what I do. I'm quite happy doing that. So um, that said, I am planning a few um, a few little fun things, um, a few little products like a. a a course and a book um, and another little business which are naturally going to involve me 
you know, going into that area of selling, which is just a yeah. mer- it's just a murky world for me because most of my stuff is just inbound, and I just go, "There's all my stuff. Contact me if you want me." Um, yeah, the actual flogging of stuff, um, I still do it in my own way, which is just, you know, ninety percent tongue in cheek, with with a little semi-serious yeah. call to action at the end, um, which seems to work for my newsletter and stuff. So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll follow that same approach. I think with you, mate, you've built up such credit in the bank by providing so much value and free content. And, you know, you're, I, I subscribe to your newsletter. It's brilliant. Um, if, if you don't subscribe to it, do. But, I, mate, I honestly think, I think you've got that credit in the bank where you could start selling a bit more aggressively and people would buy your shit and, like, no one would get mad because you're giving out so much free stuff and you're making people laugh and, and also... Yeah, like you wouldn't do it like how most of us would do it because most of us just don't know how to sell on LinkedIn properly. Um, you do it in a way that's actually probably really funny or really entertaining. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. But when's your new when's your stuff coming out? And then your courses and stuff. Have you got timelines on it? Yes, I'm, I'm aiming to have the course done and dusted by um, the end of the summer, just so I, I'll get August out the way when everyone's on holiday. So probably September. I'm working on the, on the content at the moment um, and then hopefully recording it all in um, yeah, over the summer so it'll all be ready for ready to go probably around September. Um, so that's that. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of, couple of book ideas. Again, it's just, what I said at the start, the book stuff, most of the content's there. It's just finding the time to kind of pause my client mm. work and, and write it. And we, we had a little one, me and my missus had a little one, um, in 2021 so he's 18 months now and and yeah charlotte my wife she stopped she stopped work she gave up it she's a hairdresser she sold a hair salon to look after after the baby full time so yeah so i'm the sole breadwinner so even though i'm dead chilled out about stuff i'm still that like oh i've got to keep bringing the dough in you know what i mean even just pausing it for like two months would would get me into kind of uneasy territory so it's it's knowing when to yeah, no one went to slow down. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still going full pelt at the moment. Um, Does she try and get you yeah, to scale it at all? Um, no, not really. No, no, no. We, I mean, we both got the same sort of like attitude. Yeah, yeah. When she had that, she, I mean, she was doing it before me. She was the one who supported me to go to go free. She she like bought a salon in like 2015, so the year before I went freelance. So she'd kind of she'd taken that that scary leap before me so she she was obviously dead supportive at the time um but yeah she she knows she she can sense what makes me happy so she knows that i'm i'm just happy plodding along doing my own stuff you know still doing it kind of client work and the, the kind of silly social stuff on the side which is the nice little balance to to bring in the clients in um for me at the moment so yeah she's never yeah never never kind of pushed me but i mean Whatever I want to do, she'll she'll kind of support me. If I wanted to pause, I don't think she'd. Oh no, you know, carry on bringing, carry on mm. bringing the dough in. You know, we can't we can't have a two month gap or whatever. She'd just be like, as long as we've got enough to pay the bills, that's that's all that that's all that matters. Like, and yeah, I think I think we'd be all right. But yeah, the book itself, or, or t- two book ideas that I'm working on, um, probably probably early next year for them too. Um, but the business, the other, the other kind of business idea, which I'm not, I'm not revealing too much about. That, that should be 
I'll be talking about that in probably May time, May time. So yeah, um, and that will be the first opportunity where at the moment, yeah, I don't don't plug for any, I don't plug my writing or um, invite people to to really kind of work with me. People just ask me, and I, I you know, I, I take clients on on a case by case basis. Whereas this new business will, it will be like people's opportunity to work work with me, um, which will be fun. But yeah, all in good time. It's awesome, mate. I'm glad to hear things are happening for you and you've got some future plans to scale as well because I think with your platform and your, your reputation, like the sky really could be the limit. It's just how far you, you want to take it, right? But um, I, th- I suppose the way to close this out, I really want to ask you uh, about something you're probably sick of being asked about, but chat GPT. So obviously this is like shaking up the copywriting world a little bit. I mean, obviously you're you're more involved in it than I am, but I've, I've only ever seen like copyrights comment on it i think i've seen you comment on it a few times how would you feel like this will affect copywriters and, and journalists and stuff over the next few years and i suppose like how would you where do you see your industry being in the next like 10 years or so i can't speak for journalism i'm so far removed from that i haven't i wouldn't even know where to begin in terms of how it's going to be used it'll probably be used as some kind of research tool maybe um but again it's like when i learned journal or when i when i learned journalism when i was studying journalism it was like you had to go and actually like do interviews with people and ask them whereas now it's like such and such said on his twitter feed or so and so said this most daily mail articles are just you know reporting what such and such did on instagram there's none of that kind of first-hand stuff so i don't know whether there'll be much change in terms of, I mean, ChatGPT is just a, a mishmash of all different sources, isn't it? In the what it thinks is the most kind of up-to-date version of events. Um, when you, you know, when you ask it a question or when you give it a prompt. Um, so yeah, journalism-wise, um, I don't really, I don't really know how it will affect things. Copywriting, I think content. I mean, there's a there's a split between copy and content for me. Copywriting is the real persuasive stuff, the real engaging, impactful stuff. You know the ads that you see. It's it's the subject lines on on what kind of sales emails they've been copywritten mm. to persuade you to open something, to persuade you to do something. Um, I think content is maybe a little bit more at risk in terms of you know you can just bang in you know write me five hundred words on X Y Z and it'll spit out its you know shitty robotic version of whatever it thinks is a roundabout way. For the for those content writers who don't have to rely on, um, you know, if they're more kind of if SEO is more the, the, their thing, and it's like tone doesn't really matter. They're just there to kind of fill space with relatively informative stuff. I think it's it's probably going to be doing, I'd say, around about sixty to seventy percent of that job for those people, and then they'll be more like editors at the very end of it. And I'm saying that more. Probably the, the the ninety for, for say ninety percent of businesses, those at the top end will understand that tone of voice and kind of genuine empathy and understanding of your audience really matters. I don't think they've got anything to worry about. I think the like the, the top like the top businesses, the biggest brands in the world, um, the um, you know the, the top entertainment and news sites. Even though I've heard like Buzzfeed are starting to use it, mm. I still think everything everything will be will be kind of put through the humans with a fine tooth comb i think it'll just be it'll be doing as much heavy lifting as say 
copy and paste and something off Wikipedia is at the moment. And then you, you kind of just have to put it. It's probably doing a little bit more because it's putting structure in place and, you know, given, you know, you can type all sorts of prompts and that. Give me a metaphor for X, Y, Z, and it'll kind of spit one out that you've never <clears> even <throat> thought of before. Whereas Wikipedia, you're just kind of lifting what's there. Um, so, yeah, I think in the in the content world, it will it will have a bit of a shake-up. Before the, yeah, for the stuff like like I said before about the processes that I do, which is all about you know, understanding the, the, the target audience and finding a way to kind of get that stuff, um, you know, get the right message across to them by just by either myself having an experience of it or by putting myself in the, the, the audience's shoes and understanding what makes them tick and the experiences that they've been. I don't think you will ever be able to replicate genuine human emotion and empathy i mean it's it's only going to get at stage one aren't we it's only just when did they release it chat gpt it's like november wasn't it and we're only in like the early early stages i imagine mm. it's going to get a hell of a lot more sophisticated it could probably you know you can it, it can, at the moment it can write you know stuff in the style of other writers like shakespeare and Chaucer yep. and whatever you wanted, to, whatever you wanted to write. But and as time goes on, I think that's only going to get better. But I was chatting to another copywriter, one of my mates, Eddie Schleiner, and he said it's like he said it's like plastic surgery. No matter how much those plastic surgeons try and recreate the human face, you can always tell that they've had work done. There's mm. always just something just not quite right. And I think that was a great analogy for me. Um, when you see the stuff, even just at these early stages, when you see the stuff that is kind of produced, it's just it's formulaic. There's a lot of repetition within there. There's there's no real no real kind of voice or tone to it. Um, so yeah, in its current guys, I'm I'm certainly don't see it overtaking any kind of copywriter's jobs at the moment. Um, I think it's probably going to be used more as a um, a way of getting probably past writer's block so it'll say like mm. you know, when you try when you come up with a new concept um you, you can say like give me 10 ideas for this and it'll probably give you a few thought starters which interestingly enough um tom roach is a branding expert on on twitter um he, he did a tweet last week saying um our team's been using chat gpt um by whenever whenever our team comes up with new ideas we put them into ChatGPT, or we ask ChatGPT to come up with ideas as well. And whatever ideas ChatGPT spits back, they discount because they're not good enough. Because if a, if a robot can think it, it's like not not good enough. Right, it's okay. Too generic. So they're using it as a way of discount, which I thought was a, a genius way, genius way of doing it. Um, really smart. So, so yeah, in a, in a kind of I don't know, I've I've kind of covered it in a roundabout way. I'm I'm not I'm not at, like not too fussed about it really in terms of oh it's it's gonna you know take over things because there's there's too much kind of humanity involved in the, the really the in the most engaging stuff you need you need a human like from start to finish it might you might it might be a good thought thought starter or it might get you past that you know a block and it might come up with a little metaphor that you hadn't thought of before so if you know if you're at your, your wit's end and you cannot come up with an idea yeah, go to ChatGPT, but it's like if you can't come up with an idea, what the fuck are you doing in the job in the first place? It's like you've surely you got to that stage where you're writing for the big brand. Surely you should 
you know, be trained in this stuff. It's like again, mm. um, another reference. I was I was chatting to somebody. Um, Darren Brown was interviewed by um Stephen Bartlett on his podcast. I think six months ago maybe and he was talking Stephen Bartlett was saying how did you get into hypnotism and you know did you learn on YouTube and stuff and he's like no no he said I, I read every single book there was all of the kind of the, the classic texts on hypnotism how to do it what happens if it goes wrong he said I've done all of that stuff he said it's probably like you know I haven't done a degree in it but I've done that level of of kind of reading up I've read everything there is to read about it and he said, I think it's important to do that, to do things the long way around, so that if, yeah. if I'm ever in a show and something goes wrong, I'm not just going, oh, you're what, YouTuber, like worrying. So I, I made, in my newsletter last week, I wrote the same. I was like, imagine if you're in a you're in a pitch with a client, and they say, that's a great idea, that. Where did that come from? Imagine you say, oh, I just put a prompt into ChatGPT. Yeah. You should be able to give the whole fucking history lesson of that idea about where it came from, where you were, what two little thoughts made that come to fruition, why it's going to work, why you know it's going to work, because it ticks these boxes, it, it speaks to the audience, it, you know, it, it um, addresses one of their pain points. It does, at the moment, it's like the people using it, they don't even, um, when they're typing the prompts in, it's like what they, they, they don't even know what they're doing it for. Is it just to fill a space? They're not doing the strategy stuff at the start. It's just like, yeah. oh, okay, give me a 500 or give me a blog post. It's like you get a 500-word blog post banging on your website. Where's the strategy behind it? Where's all the thought that's gone into it? It's like it's great having this solution which pumps out a load of generic stuff, but like the, the, the real thought and like the, the reasoning behind whether it's really needed in the first place, I think that's missing as well. You need people to like, you know, people need need to give their head a wobble sometimes and, understand that it's not the it's not the not the magic bullet for everything you need uh yeah you need strategy behind it and it, it needs to needs it needs yeah the best stuff needs humanity as well yeah. it really um i find it really interesting uh in the recruitment world some people have asked it to write job ads and yeah. there was this um i think it was like a recruitment director and he was he was going, uh, oh yeah, we asked ChatGP to write us a job ad, and it was it was fantastic. Check it out, and it was very even, even I could see it wasn't great, but it was all right. Yeah. It was okay, um, probably still better than most recruiters' ads that they write. And uh, all the copywriters were like, this is one of the worst ads I've ever seen. Like, and it was just it was just interesting. Like, like there was in the comment section, it was like copywriters and people who actually know what they're talking about just saying this is this is really bad this is really not very good at all um and then there was like loads of say recruiters or hr managers and stuff going oh that's pretty good actually i, I quite, that's better than any I've, I've ever written um and it's funny how um those who actually know what they're talking about can spot it straight away mm. yeah yeah you spot on i think i saw that i remember seeing mitch sullivan commented on it and he just tore a new arsehole out of it he was just like it's generic, doesn't do this, doesn't do that, doesn't no empathy in it, it's blah blah. He just listed out all the things that was wrong with it. And it was like the people, yeah, the people you're right, the people commenting on it saying, Oh, this is all right actually. They're not really the people who've got the it's like the, the the experience and the skills to be able to say, Oh yeah, that's great. It's like it's like you know, yeah. say I've worked in, worked with agencies in the past and when I've been pitching work, be like me pitching kind of creative work to one of the juniors and them going, Oh yeah, no, that's great. 
and I'm like, mm, can we get someone who knows what they're like, kind of talking about, please, maybe? Um, <laughs> not, not wanting to sound, you know, what, not wanting to sound all snobbish there, but it's like, can we can we have someone who knows exactly, you know, what this brief's about, and not just someone who's kind of, you know, fresh face and, and new to it all? And that's exactly what it's, yeah, what what it's like with yeah, the recruiters. Oh, that's actually all right. It's like really, and when did just all right be the benchmark as well? When did yeah, barely acceptable become become like oh okay it's all right for the robot? It's like go away, just, <laughs> uh, scary. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just totting at the moment. I see I see you know here's our 374 chat GPT prompts to supercharge your productivity, and I'm just like go away, like you absolute ghoul. I don't I, no one needs this. <laughs> No one need no one needs three hundred and sixty odd prompts, do they? You need to come up with a proper marketing strategy and write actual um, messaging full of empathy that speaks to the target audience, not a load of prompts. You spend that people must spend that much time reading prompts when they could actually just pick up the phone and speak to one of the target customers and go, "What are you yeah. struggling with today?" Oh, sound yeah, all right, I'll write that. That's that's all it is to it. Not rocket science. And we've got a load of yeah growth strategists growth hacking gurus it's just it's an again it's just people will jump on any bandwagon there's one guy who I, I yeah i take the piss out of some of his stuff just cheesy it is on linkedin and he changed his literally like ChatGPT was out in november like the first week in december his new headline on linkedin was ChatGPT expert forward slash doctor <laughs> it's like it's been out a month how are you an expert <laughs> just nuts so that's the world we're living in yeah yeah Funny. well mate it's, it's, it's been awesome super interesting and um yeah thanks so much for, for coming on um i think there's going to be a lot of people who benefit from this because you, you've given a lot of knowledge and also uh i hope any, any any copywriters who are worrying about chat gpt i don't think they will be now after you've you've gone through all that so um thanks for that but um, can you just uh, let everyone know like where to find your stuff on, on LinkedIn and, and your newsletter and everything else? Yeah, so I'm shamelessly relentless on LinkedIn. I post probably once a day, so you can't really miss the stuff I do on there. So if you connect with it, it's just my name, Dave Harland on LinkedIn. There's no special way to find me, really. Um, I'll probably pop up. Um, although there is another Dave Harland. He's involved in the Eden Project. He's, he's like got a much more sensible job than me. I just write daft stories all day. Um, so, yeah, that's me on LinkedIn. And Twitter, I'm at WordmanCopy. And you can get my newsletter at my website, which is thewordman.co.uk. So you can sign up there. And I put yeah a newsletter out every Friday, which is a mixture of... Um, all my secrets really so copywriting tips storytelling techniques and a load of silly stuff and i think it gets a little bit sweary at times as well so um if you're yeah if you're offended by swearing maybe give it a wide berth yeah no i i i'm a subscriber and um i've been following day for years and highly recommend his newsletter as well it's, it's it's really funny there's some really funny um like uh when you when you you like screenshot conversations with scammers and uh, wind them up and that they are they are really really hilarious so highly recommend you checking it out i'll, I'll stick all the links in um in the uh in the bio or the description or whatever wherever you're listening to this as well um so you can find it really easy but um yeah dave thanks so much for coming on mate it's been a pleasure yeah nice one mate i've enjoyed it cheers cheers mate